grab your Bible. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there are some Bibles under the chairs around you. Uh, if you don't actually own a Bible, you can take that one home. It's our gift to you. I think we'll also have it here on the screen if you just want to look up this way. 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 3 and 4 and stop there today. Last week, uh, our good friend Jim Maston uh, shared with us from this passage. Let me read it to you. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who has enlisted him as a soldier. Jim shared with seven rules of engagement. I hope you were here for that. Seven rules of engagement as a soldier on the battlefield in preparation for for our calling as a body of Christ. What are the seven rules of engagement. That's where Jim took us last week. And he opened up really my mind, and I hope your mind, to just this whole idea here through Paul's use of the word soldier, that we are just that. We are soldiers. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you've been a Christian a long time. Maybe you are a fairly new Christian. Maybe you're not a Christian at all, and you're you're wondering about this, this whole idea of being a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? And so wherever you are on that spectrum, been a Christian forever, not yet a Christian, or somewhere in between, maybe this idea is really kind of, uh, is still, it's still not nailed down for you. What is it to be a Christian? Well, Paul nails it down using this analogy of a soldier. If Paul had to tell you what being a Christian is, this is one of the ways he chooses to explain You want to know what it is to be a follower of Christ. You want to know what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. You want to know what it is to be a Christian. I'll tell you. For one, it's like being a soldier. A soldier. And I don't know about you, but I really just couldn't get away from that word, from that whole idea of of us as Christians being being soldiers. Um, I want you to look down a little bit, and I don't think I gave him this verse. Maybe I did. Did I give you verse 7, Craig? No, I didn't give you verse 7. So you've got to find it there in your passage. Verse 7 says this. Listen, he's going to give the analogy of a soldier, and then he's going to talk about being an athlete. He's going to be talking about a farmer here. He's going he's to paint a picture of what it means to be a Christian. At the end of those analogies, uh, he says this to Timothy. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now, that's kind of an odd, that's kind of an odd verse to throw in there for Paul. I mean, he doesn't always say that. I mean, that's always true, right? That consider the things that Scripture says and and ask God to help you understand them. Surely he'll always do that. But the fact that Paul included that verse here, that instruction here, after he gives these analogies, I think think it's wise for us, even as we start out just looking at the very first analogy, to just have that mindset about us. That as we sit here, and even as I'm I'm preaching this, uh, I'm really not... uh, preaching to you this morning as much as I'm I'm praying with you that God would help give us some understanding some discernment into what these things mean okay Uh, I've told you before if you've been around a while that I have different messages I have uh, preaching messages I have teaching messages where you get too much Greek I have uh, just uh, just sit down talks where I grab the stool and I I don't really have any notes and I just want to talk to you and then I coined another one at one point uh, grandfather talks you know it's kind of one of those talks where you just you just want to sit down with your grandfather and he's just got some wisdom to share with you uh, I have different messages like that I don't know where this one really fits in it's maybe a little bit of some of all of them 
Okay, so just bear with me. I have some notes, but I don't have a whole lot of notes. Uh, I got no Greek for you today, okay, and that's a relief to some of you. So it's not really teaching. It's a little bit of preaching. It's a little bit of just a heart-to-heart from pastor, and it's a little bit of uh, grandfather wisdom talk as well. So just hang in there, and I hope by the end that God allows me to kind of bring us to where he's, he's pointing me in the direction of going this morning through, through this passage, through this whole idea of us being a soldier. Let me give you uh, just... Just some initial understandings or just some initial things that jumped out to me from last week when Jim preached to now even this week as we consider what it means to be a soldier, being a Christian. Here here are just seven, and I didn't intentionally mean that to be like a perfect number of things. It just worked out that way, I promise. Let me just give you seven little points. You don't even have to write these down because you've, you've thought of them already. But I think as I was asking God to help me have some understanding about these things, particularly about what it means to be a Christian soldier... Uh, these things jumped out at me. Some of them are pretty obvious, but maybe we don't consider the obvious often enough. Is that true sometimes? That it's the obvious things, it's the apparent things that just uh, elude us sometimes, that we just skip right over, we don't really spend much time soaking in. So here here are some of those. Number one, I put down, uh, we are soldiers. And again, that's obvious, but I don't know that it's always obvious to us. I mean, do we think that way as Christians? Do we ever apply that analogy to our own Christianity that, that God has called us? And one way that we understand our calling as followers, as disciples, as part of this body of Christ, one correct, divinely inspired way would be to understand that we are soldiers in the king's army. So don't let that escape you. Don't, don't gloss past that. Think on that for a while. Number two, we are at war, therefore. We are at war. There is, uh, if a need for soldiers, there is some sort of battle going on. And that is the inference here as Paul speaks of us being soldiers. There, there is, in fact, a battle going on. I don't, know that we, I don't know that we always notice that. Especially in America, John MacArthur said regarding this passage that as Americans, when we think about being soldiers spiritually, being Christian soldiers, it really doesn't It's really a wasted analogy on us to some degree because we don't have to really fight very hard in America for our Christianity, do we? I mean, we look around the world, there are men and women who die for their faith, who suffer significantly for their faith, who, as I said this morning, could not gather like this. There are men and women who just by naming the name of Christ, they're ostracized from their family. Now, we don't know anything about that, okay? Let's just confess that. We don't don't get that. So this idea that there is a battle going on is, to some degree, maybe uh, not, not something we can wrap our minds around, that we can wrap our hearts around. But we are soldiers, and there is, therefore, a battle going on. Let me give you number three, because it clarifies number two. Our war, number three, is not against flesh and blood. What is it against? Anybody? It is against... Principles, principalities, it is against uh, the adversary, okay? Let me just make this clear. Uh, Spurgeon gave this as a caveat to his message on this text. He spent uh, probably a page in his manuscript making sure that the church understood that we are not at war against the bad guys out there, okay? The people who do not name the name of Christ out there walking around, they, they are not the bad guys in our hearts and minds. 
And we don't mean by saying that we are soldiers or that we are in a war, we don't mean to separate ourselves in that way from the lost world. Such were we all. Amen? And so the war is not against them, Scripture would indicate, that there is this spiritual warfare going on. There is this spiritual war over those souls out there. And they are being deceived. They are being led astray by the father of lies. Morality is being compromised, etc. But there's a, there's a commander behind what's going on out there. Does that make sense? And so let's be clear. We are not at war with our neighbors who do not know Christ. We are at war with the one who is deceiving them. Here's the fourth thing I wrote down. The whole idea of being a soldier connotates hardship. Did you see what he said there in verse 3? Suffer with me hardship like a good soldier. It's as if saying one implies the other. When he says you're a soldier, it implies it's, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. A uh, missionary wrote one of my favorite poems. She suffered for her faith. Her name is Amy Carmichael. She wrote this poem. It's entitled, Hast Thou No Scar? Hast Thou No Scar? And it's written from the perspective of Jesus. Listen. Hast thou no scar? No hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear thee being hailed as bright ascendant star. Hast thou, though, no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by archers, spent. Leaned me against a tree to die and rent. By ravening beast that encompassed me, I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound? No scar? Yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me. But thine are whole. Can he have followed far? Who hast... No wound, nor scar. Um, The implication of Scripture is that as soldiers, life is not a bed of roses. And then if we are soldiers engaged in a war, albeit spiritual, there will be wounds and there will be scars. And if that's not true, if that's not true, then we've got to put a big question mark on our own hearts. Are we in the battle? Or are we on the sideline? Number five I wrote down. Christ is our commander. Don't miss that. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. We don't just serve in some random army. We serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we don't just serve a guy who doesn't know the hardship himself. We serve a guy who went to the cross. We serve a God-man who came to where we are And suffered as he's calling us to suffer, perhaps. That is our commander-in-chief. Six, God considers us active duty whether we do or not. No soldier in active service, Paul says. There are in the church, perhaps uh, those who are not considered soldiers as yet. There are those in the church who are considered soldiers, but maybe Paul would not consider them good soldiers. Did you catch that? He didn't just call us to be soldiers. He said, be a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Maybe on that continuum of being a soldier somewhere, 
we are not at the current time be, uh, being labeled as good soldiers. And we've got to put that question mark on our hearts. There are those also who maybe on that continuum of being a soldier in God's army might be considered merely weekend warriors. Have you heard this term before? In the military, if you're, if you're full-time, you're active duty, that means like your job is being in the military, then you are, you are an active duty soldier. You're a full-time soldier. That is your profession. That is your job. There are other men and women who serve once a month on weekends. They've been through the same training, but now they have a regular job, and once a month they go and they, they are soldier. Now, uh, I'm not advocating this, but in the, in the military world, the active guys like to look down upon the weekend warriors. You're just here playing soldier one weekend out of the month. But notice that Paul says here that we don't have that luxury in our Christianity. In our Christianity, understand God considers us automatically in active duty. And we may place ourselves in the category of part-timers. But that's not a luxury that Scripture gives us. We're active service. We're active duty, according to Scripture. Number seven. Uh, did you notice? Did you notice at the end of verse four? No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life, so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. I put down that we are enlisted. We didn't just volunteer. I think there's something to that. It may be another sermon for another day. But I think there's something to understanding what it means to be a soldier and a Christian in God's kingdom. There's something to understanding what Paul has to say here is that we were enlisted by one. We were enlisted by the blood of Christ. We did not volunteer. We did not, we did not come about this uh, position on our own doing. Does that make sense? And I think that some way, somehow, speaks to the place we need to put this position we need to elevate the sense uh, of our duty of our responsibility to what we've been called to we have been chosen by a holy god we have been saved by the blood of our commander and he himself has enlisted us we weren't just mere volunteers now with that said i hope that kind of just gives you a little bit of a framework for for what Paul might be talking about, of being a soldier. What does it mean to be a Christian? It's something like being a soldier. There's one word, however, and this is really where I want to go today. There's one word that, uh, as is often the case, I got stuck on. And uh, in asking God which direction to take this congregation and this message and in this passage, there's, there's different ways we can go. Uh, I couldn't get away from, from just one word. One word that I think maybe we need to just think on and absorb on. And I think it might have something for, for us. And it's this word, entangled. Entangled. I think it's the point of Paul using the analogy in the very beginning. In chapter 1, he's encouraged Timothy to be strong and courageous. Retain the standard. Guard the treasure which has been entrusted to you. He went on to say, you can look at my life if you need an example of a good soldier. You can look at my life. If you need a bad example, remember he named two guys. He said, these guys cut and run. When the heat of battle was on, when the pressure was on, they cut and run. We can't be like that, Timothy. 
And then he gives a positive example after that. Remember at the end of chapter 1? He says, there's this guy on Osiris, and you know well how he has been faithful, even in the heat of battle. And so now he comes down in chapter 2, and he's going to say, Timothy, this is exactly what we need you to do. We don't need you to cut and run when the heat is on. We need you to be faithful like I've been faithful. We need you to be faithful to the gospel message because God has been faithful for all of eternity. And we need you to be faithful even like Onesiphorus, who's not mentioned anywhere else, just a regular guy like you and I. He's being faithful even when the heat is on. That's what we need, Timothy. That's what we need. And he says to his beloved son, not, I hope your life goes easy and well. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, come right along with me and suffer like a soldier does. Like an active duty soldier does. And then he, and then he adds in this, this caveat, or maybe he unpacks that idea a little bit for us. And I think this is the reason that he used the analogy of a soldier. So that he could say, a soldier, look at it, verse 4. No soldier in active service entangles himself. Entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. It's not that you won't have to deal with your life, but the idea is that it doesn't keep you from the battle. That one word just just grabbed me this week. Uh, maybe that's a word we need, to, we need to just think on. Paul looks at Timothy, his beloved son, and he says, you've got to come the same way that I've come. You're going to have to suffer hardship like me. It's kind of like being a soldier in, a, in an army. As a Roman soldier, Paul knew well, Timothy knew well, that if you were a soldier, you didn't have any other job out there that distracted you from being a soldier. You couldn't get married. You couldn't get engaged. It was very strict to be a Roman soldier. And that's the picture that I believe Paul and Timothy would have in their mind here. And you might say at this point, well, isn't that then pastor just for you (laughs) because we all have regular jobs right we don't get to just work one day a week we actually have to go to work tomorrow and 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 work all week and we have other responsibilities so doesn't this passage just therefore then mean for you that you should not entangle yourself in the other affairs of life and just focus on bringing us that message sunday in and sunday out i think it does mean that i think it does mean that but i don't think you you get let off the hook either I think the fact that he says, don't let the things of this world, you could say the civilian life, entangle you. He's, he's mainly pointing out that although those things are responsibilities of ours, we can't get so bound up, so caught up, so tripped up by those things that we miss our calling as soldiers in God's army. You tracking with me? You are soldiers in God's army. You are. And I, uh, my gig is kind of a full-time gig, and your gig may not be uh, full-time like mine, but you are full-time in his army. And no matter what you are out there doing as your livelihood, you're still an active-duty service soldier in his army. And there is a battle going on. So Paul's encouragement, challenge to us is, Church, Timothy, down through the ages to us, we cannot be entangled by our civilian life to the degree that it takes us out of our soldiering. It cannot 
remove us from the battlefield. There is a battle going on. We cannot get so caught up over here that we stop fighting over here. Now, uh, here's where I move from teaching maybe to preaching and just talking to you from the heart of your pastor. The heart of your pastor for, for the congregation that is here uh, is that I believe that this church uh, desires not to be entangled by anything that would keep them from the battlefield that is the spiritual battle that God has called us, his good soldiers, to. I believe that we have here in this core group of Cornerstone a group of good soldiers desiring not to be entangled by the civilian life to the degree that it overcomes what they've been called to do in the war, in the battle, as soldiers. I believe that with all my heart. And I believe you're struggling well with that. So where do we go then? I mean, because I can't stand here and preach at you, and my heart would not be in it to, to land blast you and say, we need to be better soldiers. I believe that across the board, you're struggling well. You're trying very hard to cast off the burdens of this world to the degree that you can accomplish what God is calling you to accomplish through whatever it is you're doing in your life Monday through Saturday. Does that make sense? I believe that to be true. And I believe some of you are are, are further abandoned perhaps than others, but I believe the majority of us in this church are working hard to own the responsibility of being good soldiers in God's army. So so where do I go? Where do I go with this then? Um, I'm going to... I'm going to go where I went um, in the first three months of starting this church and where I went just right about a year ago this year, a year ago today. Uh, I preached Genesis 3 when we first started the church. I preached it one year ago, and it was for the same reason. Genesis 3 is the story of Cain and Abel and then all of Cain's descendants. And if you know the story, uh, Cain's descendants, they flourished. They flourished. Now, morality went down, but agricultural uh, advancement went up, industry went up, uh, the arts went up. By all practical implications, life was getting better for humanity. But at the same time, if you are aware, as you're reading, morality was going downhill. All because Cain and his descendants had left the presence of God, and they began to do things their own way. And what God had told Cain to do, he didn't do. And all of his descendants began to go a way that was, well, it was their own way. And so they kind of abandoned God, and everything seemed to be looking great, but, but life uh, on a moral, spiritual level was going downhill. Twice we've looked at that passage, and I've come out of that passage, and I've said to you that it's very easy for us in our lives to go through our Monday through Saturday, go through our careers, go through our life, and things look to be doing well, but somehow spirituality seems to be on the decrease. We may have all these advancements in our culture and in our society and even in our own homes, but maybe our spirituality is on the, on the decline. And what we honed in on in both of those messages was the fact that there are, there are things in life that, that entangle us. I entitled the first message in our first few months, Trimming the Fat. And I said that there were some things in our life that we needed to deal with, that needed to be cut out so that we could fully focus and not be distracted by the things of this world. There are some things in our life that just needed to be dealt with so that we could, so that we could follow, so that we could be good soldiers. Last year when I taught the message, I entitled it, 
eliminating the noise. My point there was that uh, we like noise in life, don't we? Both my kids sleep with uh, noisemakers. We sleep with noisemakers. We turn the bathroom fan on. We've got a little box fan going. The kids have got their crickets going in their rooms. Well, Grady, Grady's got crickets, and Corbin's changed to like this loud stream thing that's pretty annoying. And then we've got a monitor, so it's piping that into our room. So we've got crickets, this loud stream thing, our bathroom fan on. Actually, every bathroom fan in the house is on. And, and we've just got like this. And uh, I was up late last night. I fell asleep on the couch. And, and Kimberly, uh, she came through the house and she turned off the crickets. She turned off the white noise in Gray's room. She turned off all the bathroom fans. And man, it just got dead silent. And it was weird. I, I couldn't sleep anymore. It woke me up how quiet it was. Does that make sense? And last year when I talked about this, my point was this, that it, it's the same way in life for us. We busy ourselves with so much stuff that that it gets so loud, but we don't notice how loud it is. And for some of us, spiritually speaking, we do the same thing, and we need to, we need to eliminate some of the noise so that we can hear what we're supposed to hear. So that if God wants to whisper, go this way, we can hear him. So whatever whatever you want to entitle it, trimming the fat, cutting the noise, eliminating, eliminating the noise, whatever, whatever uh, picture you want to paint here, it's the same message today. And next year, I'll probably preach the same message and give it a different title. Because what I know is, for me personally, um, this is a message that we have to constantly remind ourselves of. I think Paul says it a different way here. As a good soldier, if you understand that analogy, get this, he says, your active duty. You can't let your civilian life entangle you to the point where you're not in the fight anymore. It's the same message. There are things that we allow into our life. There are things that just find their way into our life that so crowd our life that hearing from God gets difficult. Following his lead gets difficult. We've got too much else going on. We've got got t-ball. We've got soccer. We've got um, this family outing. We've got you name it. You guys know. You know your schedules. You know what it is to live in Metro Atlanta, even though we're kind of out here in the boondocks of Metro Atlanta. Can we still call ourselves Metro Atlanta? Uh, but it, it creeps into our lives, doesn't it? And even when we try and even when we try and cull some of it, it, it finds its way right back. Kimberly opened up our calendar on the computer yesterday, and she says, "Look at February. Just look at it." And it was just full. It wasn't a box that didn't have like two or three things in it. She said, "No wonder I'm tired." It's full, and we, and we, to some degree, we do that ourselves. And sometimes we don't even do it ourselves. It just gets heaped on. So here's the, here's the word of encouragement for you this morning. It's the same as the word of encouragement the first two times. It's not a word of rebuke. Church, you're not being good soldiers because, because you're, you're part-timers. You don't, you don't want to fight in this battle. No, that's not the testimony of Cornerstone Church. The testimony I see across the board in general, of this congregation is that you want in the fight. You want in the fight. You amened Jim's preaching last week about the seven rules of engagement for being in this spiritual battle. You came to your life groups here, and we had, we had discussions about getting into that battle and what are some of the, what are some of the things that are keeping us out of it. And, and Jim came back to me and said, they're, they're ready. They want it. So I'm not here to, to, to land blast you and say, what's wrong with you? Why don't you want it? I know you do. I know you do. So here's the... Here's the practical encouragement. What do we do? What do we do? I'm going to give you the same action steps that I gave the first two times I preached this sort of message. Here they are. 
Number one. Pretty simple. Realize you are entangled. Realize you are entangled. It's the first step to AA, if you're familiar with that. First step to AA, admit you have a problem. Admit you're an alcoholic. Until you admit, here's the idea, until you admit that you're an alcoholic, you can't deal with that problem of being an alcoholic. You have to own the issue. Step number one, action step number one for us in dealing with the entanglements of the civilian life that are keeping us off the battlefield. Step number one is realize you're entangled. I mean, don't just keep struggling along with your, with your hands and your feet bound by all the demands of this world thinking that you don't have a problem. Stop long enough. Look hard enough at your life. Pull up your calendar. Look at February. See what it looks like. And ask the basic but sometimes difficult question, how entangled am I? How entangled am I? Number two. Find the source of that entanglement. That's the next step. Once you're willing to admit that you have the problem, let's, let's find the source. Let's see what is binding us. Let's see what's tying our hands. Let's see what's keeping us off the battlefield. Start to name those things. Well, it's this. Yeah, I see it now. It's this. Yep. Uh, honey, what do you think? Yep, it's that too. You've got to find those cords, those chains that are keeping you from where God is calling you to be. In doing what God has called you to do. Uh, this isn't number three. Let's just make it 2.5. Uh, maybe sometimes you can't see everything that has got you entangled. Because you're so entangled, you, you don't even know you're entangled. Do you know people like this maybe? Perhaps if you're brave enough, if you're courageous enough, ask a trusted friend, hey, what does it look like from the outside? Because maybe I'm having trouble seeing it here. Maybe life is so hectic right now that I can't really realize it. Can you give me some help here? Where, where are there entangling, entanglements, maybe that's a word, I don't know, uh, that are keeping me from being the Christian God wants me to be? Where are there things that I can deal with here? You, you tell me. Be, be, be brave. Ask someone to help you with that. Okay? Here's number three. Um, cut loose of some things. That's the obvious next step. Admit you might be entangled, figure out what is entangling you, and then cut loose, right? Cut loose. Get untangled. And don't just try and unravel the thing and figure out where the end of the cord is. Just cut it. Deal with it. Find the things that are in your life that have got you bound up, that are keeping you off the battlefield, that have got you so focused in your civilian life that you can't accomplish what God wants you to accomplish, and cut loose, man. Cut loose. Number four, maybe there are things you can't just cut altogether. Maybe there are some things, though, you can loosen your grip on. Maybe there are some things in life that when you leave here today, you're going to ask God, hopefully, God, show me how entangled I am. God, help me to find the source. Where are these chains coming from? God, help me just to find the ones I can just cut right now. What do I need to just get rid of? Number four, what can I, what can I, uh, I'm not able to let it go right now. What can I loosen my grip on? Um, you ever heard the name Isaac Watts? Isaac Watts was a hymn writer in the uh, 1600s and the 1700s. Uh, I'm not sure, as I pulled it up on my computer, uh, maybe, 
maybe I was just on a, a, a crazy website, but I counted uh, 500 and something hymns this guy wrote. You probably best know him for writing Joy to the World. Joy to the World. Uh, he wrote another, one of my favorite hymns of old, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Remember that one? Uh, I came across this guy, and uh, I got to thinking, well, what is it that would, that would cause this man to be so faithful in his life to write that many hymns for the glory of God, etc.? Um, what would help us as we try and unentangle ourselves? Again, I don't think that's a word, but I'm going to use it anyway. What would help us? I think it's that we focus on the commander-in-chief. Yeah? I think that might be a good place to start. That in focusing on being a good soldier for that commander-in-chief. Am I out? No. No. Know that? No. On focusing on being a... Nothing, huh? No? No mains. All right, I'll just talk loud. Testing one, two. All right. Listen close because Satan doesn't want you to hear this part. Where, where do we go to get ourselves untangled so that we can get back in the battle? I think the answer always is let's look back at Christ. Let's focus back on him. Let me read you the words and I'll be done. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? His dying crimson, like a robe, spreads o'er his body on the tree. Then I am dead to all the globe, and all the globe is dead to me. Were the whole realm of nature mine? That would be a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. To Christ who won for sinner's grace by bitter grief and anguish sore, be praised from all the ransomed race forever and forevermore. Let's pray. Lord God, this is a reoccurring message for us. And Paul's put it a different way this morning in helping us to understand that we are soldiers. He's reminded us that we are easily entangled in civilian affairs. And that just ought not be. It doesn't make sense. No soldier that we have sent to war starts a business on the battlefield. He's focused on the battle at hand. Lord, would you speak to hearts this morning and 
And for the believers that are here, would you help them to find uh, where they are in that spectrum of being a good soldier for you, our king? Would you reveal to us the places that we are entangled? Would you help us to find the end, find the source of those ropes, of those chains? Lord, help us to cut loose wherever we can to free ourselves to fight in this spiritual war. Father, even even give us wisdom to know where we can loosen our grip so that we can free ourselves all the more to be your servants, to be your soldiers. Father, I thank you that you have allowed us to, to gather here at, at home base at this base camp as the troops have come together this morning. We, we are encouraged. We are refueled. We are challenged. As we go back to the battlefield, Lord, would you, uh, would you give us all the weapons we need, all those spiritual weapons, that shield, that sword, that helmet, that belt. Would you give us all that your word has for us so that we might fight the good fight, we might finish our course, just like men like Paul and Timothy and Onesiphorus, or just like they did, so that when we stand before you, our commander, you'll say, well done, good and faithful soldier. And Lord, um, we'll have great joy. We'll have great joy. In Jesus' name, who is our cornerstone. Amen. Ricky's going to lead us in one song before we go. Let me, let me give you one more thought, and it's the last thought of my prayer. Um, Kimberly and I were talking about it this week, that one of, the, uh, one of our prayers for you is that you would become fully, completely active duty service, abandoned to the battlefield soldiers, not just because we need you in the battle. That's a reason. But there's another reason that I'm not sure that we focus on quite enough. It's that it is the most joyful place you can find yourself. Now, you never think of the battlefield as a fun place to be. No? I don't. But for Paul, his joy came in the gospel. And even if it meant suffering for the gospel, that was his greatest joy. Church, there is a joy unexplainable for the soldier who gets in the fight. This spiritual battle of winning souls, of expanding our commander's kingdom. There is a joy that I can't, I can't put into words for you. It's a joy that, that you cannot fulfill any other way but being that good soldier. And so my prayer is not that just you need to be a good soldier because we need you in the battle, but my prayer is that it is, it is the best place for you. It's the best chance you have at joy complete on this earth because it's how God has made you. 
He's made you to be used as his good soldier. And so by doing that, you'll be most fulfilled. Uh, I can honestly tell you that I have the, the most joy in my life when I've shared the gospel with someone who has not heard the good news. I feel the most complete. I don't know how to explain it any other way. I feel the most complete. I feel like God is saying that's exactly what you're, you're meant to do from here on out. And I don't think that's just for me. I think that's for all of us here in time and space. God wants to use us as his soldiers to expand his kingdom before time is up. Amen? And so church, there is a great joy awaiting you if you haven't entered the battle. There is a great joy for your heart that you're missing out on, and I'm praying it for you. Why don't you stand? We're going to sing this one last song, and we'll be dismissed.